Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today, we have the chance to sit down with one of the brightest and best geniuses up and coming in our entire music industry. That's Casey Brown. And he's going to introduce us to a concept that it takes something really important and special to become a producer, and it's not what you're going to think it is. So stick around, find out what he means by that. He's going to talk about the idea of why you should collaborate and not compete. He's going to share with us the story of him developing the new hot up-and-coming country artist Russell Dickerson, as well as how he got the chance to be on stage touring with the band Rascal Flats and helping revitalize their live show. So check it out. This one's going to be a great episode. We hope we get to meet you at an event soon. In fact, we've got one coming up that we'd love to see you at. It's August 26th through 28th. Music Makers Boot Camp, live in Franklin, Tennessee. If you're a producer, songwriter, and artist, this is going to be a life-changing event for you. I'm going to be there hosting it. We're going to have Mia Fields. We're going to have Matt Hammett, Sean Moffitt, all of who you've heard from on this show. And if you haven't heard their episodes, go back and listen because you're going to get to meet them, spend a lot of time with them in person, learning from them the art of songwriting and producing, taking your game to the next level. So check that out August 26th through 28th. Go to fullcirclegoeslive.com. That's Music Makers Boot Camp, August 26th through 28th, live in Franklin, Tennessee. So let's dive into the episode. We're going to hear from Casey Brown. We got Casey Brown in the house on the Full Circle Music Show. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule. You're a man doing a lot of different things. Uh, Thank you. From happy to be here. Yeah, from being in the studio, producing and writing and programming, and then out on the road touring with Rascal Flats, even helping them with their live show. I mean, how do you how do you, how are you keeping it all together nowadays? <laughs> man, it's a trial and error kind of thing figure out what what works and what doesn't but it's fun though man i love wearing different hats and just kind of jumping back in and out between riding world and playing out all that kind of stuff it's fun yeah so i've known you for a little while and but for our our listeners out there why don't you just talk us through the story of how did casey brown go from you know going to college at Belmont to being where you're at today. What's, what was your journey into music and how'd Man, you get to where you are? I was, I was a bit of a late bloomer in high school. I didn't start doing anything music related until like sophomore year. And, uh, I started playing drums sophomore year. That's kind of how it all started. And my, my brother played guitar and sang and he just kind of encouraged me to pick up, pick up drums so we could play together in our basement. And so, I kind of picked that up and sort of reverse the way that most people get into it, like learning like sort of usual typical songs is sort of the opposite of how I did it. I like jumped right into like dream theater and like awesome. <laughs> nerdy prog rock bands Very and got cool. super into that. And, um, do you have a 12 string bass? <laughs> I don't, I had, I had, I had a double pedal and <laughs> China and all that stuff. Now I don't even know where it is. Yeah. Um, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something I tell people a lot. Uh, 
And so I, I uh, just fell in love with that. And it was really the only thing that I was like any like really good at or passionate about or anything. And so the it came time to figure out college and I just randomly found out about Beaumont, I think in some like magazine or something. And I was totally like self-taught. I didn't know anything about like lessons really, or like music outside of like prog rock bands. And so I was sort of like reading the audition requirements for Belmont and it was talking about like trading fours, like jazz solos and like a Samba and like all the stuff. And I had to Google like, what is a Samba? <laughs> <laughs> like no idea. And so I, I went, I kind of totally winged it and somehow got in. My GPA was like 0.5 lower than the average Belmont kid. So I was like, it was a God thing that I even like, yeah. that they even considered it. Yeah. So I got there and man, like it, this, the whole kind of dream and vision kind of changed a little bit. I I moved to Nashville just kind of thinking, you know, I'd play drums and that'd be, you know, that'd be a career. And you know, you kind of come to Nashville and I just sort of had the blessing of getting a firsthand look at sort of what life looked like playing music and just being around people sort of just observing like, you know, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? And, and I kind of quickly picked up, like, if you do more than one thing, it kind of, it kind of helps you out a little bit. And so, yeah, I, I just kind of really fell in love with sort of the production side of things. And I, I started out as like a performance major at Belmont and kind of bailed on that and did a tech emphasis. And, um, bailed on that after a semester and kind of went to music business and it turned out to be an amazing thing because the tech side of things kind of really got me like into like logic and like programming and like recording but I would just like go home after class and like watch YouTube videos for like six or seven hours and get so stoked on on that kind of stuff and just nerd out for so long and learned so much just doing that and I was like man I've I was just kind of getting tired of the pace that college was teaching it. And I was just like, I'm just going to go do something I don't know anything about. And so I did the music business emphasis and that's when the real shift kind of changed or that's when the real shift kind of started for me was I I had no idea that songwriting was like a career. Like I didn't, I don't know what I thought before I took any of those classes, but yeah, I I took like a publishing class and sort of found out about this like world of people that just got to write songs all day. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Could I do that? And it just, it started as just producing like indie artists and all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, I kind of realized like, I, I knew really quickly why I didn't like somebody's song and what I would do differently to it. And I was like, well, maybe I should just try writing with some artists or whatever. And so, yeah. And this is all while you're in college. Yes. While I'm in school, I was living with, um, a couple of really good friends of mine who actually still work in music today, Spencer Noe and John Smith. We're all roommates in college and they're all still really good friends, but John and I sort of worked together in college a lot, just working with different indie bands. We just kind of started diving into sort of like the, the writing world and the production world together. And he was actually interning um, with a guy named Jason Ingram. He kind of sort of after college was like working with him a lot. And that's how I met Jason was through John. And we would kind of work on things together, just kind of like 
I think I played drums on a few things that Jason was working on and he had heard records that John and I had done together and he kind of really was kind to us and kind of just gave us some advice and mentored us and kind of steered us along the path and encouraged us to focus on writing a lot. And that was a huge shift for us. And and I think it was really cool of him because it was like neither of us were really writers of of any kind. He just kind of saw the potential in us and was like, you should pour into that. And so we kind of focused on that and he kind of presented us to the publishing company that he was, he was working with and still is working with. And yeah, so it just kind of what started as a move to Nashville to just play drums turned into finding out about this whole world I knew nothing about and just diving in. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, man. So why do you think that was that Jason steered you out of just being a drummer and saying, Hey, you should really focus on songwriting, man. I think it just kind of stemmed from he's, so in that world and honestly just he more than anybody was the one who ins- who sort of imparted the the wisdom in in my life of like the more you can do especially if like you have any kind of like knack for it like go after it and have your eggs in a couple of different baskets and I mean because it's the industry has changed so much to where it's like you know 10-15 years ago you could make a freaking killing just playing on records and have a pretty awesome like steady balance like personal life and sort of now is that the way that the industry sort of changed it's like you kind of have to like figure out ways to to supplement sort of that dip in like what the industry can pay out yeah and you know and for someone like him he saw a lot of people around him who had to kind of like double up on their the workload and is, you know, it, it, it's not easy. Yeah. And so he was kind of just like, you know, the, the songwriting world is, is a, a really amazing thing from the standpoint of like, it's not like an artist thing where it's like you make a record and that is what you carry for the next like year or two. Like songwriters have a really interesting and unique role to kind of like come in and just write with all these different artists, put all of these different songs out there and all this stuff. And he just kind of opened our eyes to the, I guess, just exciting like potential that that world had. We've had a lot of different guests on this show, some who are songwriters, some are producers, some who are specifically just studio session musicians where they're career drummers or career bass players or career keyboardists. And it seems like a lot of the times what happens in Nashville or LA or any of the music cities is you move to town, you become a session musician, and then you eventually quote unquote graduate to becoming a producer or a songwriter. Yeah. But then there are some guys who that's just their lane. They Mm -hmm. are able to do extremely well and have extremely fruitful long-term careers by just playing on records. Yeah. Do you feel like that time has kind of passed in the music industry where that's not even possible anymore. So you have to do more things than that. Or do you feel like this is just something that you had a little more passion for? So I mean, it was yeah. chasing that. Yeah. I think, I think he just saw a little bit of potential, I guess, in John and I, and he had told us he didn't really have anyone when he was coming up. He didn't really have anybody to sort of speak into his direction or sort of how to carry out his career, what to focus on and what not to focus on. And, and so, yeah, I think he just kind of felt 
little nudge in his heart to kind of, I don't even think he knew what would come of it. He was just right. like, Hey guys, like you should focus on this. Like it's something that not everybody really has the knack for. And this is something that I think you guys could really dive into. Sure. And so, yeah, he just kind of blindly encouraged us. And I don't even think he realizes how significant of a shift that was in my thinking of like, Oh man, like I don't even think I've ever written a full song in my entirety. And here Jason Ingram is telling me that I should focus on it. <laughs> like it's, it's just cool in, in regards to the, musician or songwriter thing like it's like I think it's just it comes down to you know what excites you the most and for me sort of the more the songwriting world unfolded the more I realized like I legitimately love both of them and I legitimately love playing on people's records or playing out with people and writing and all this stuff like I just kind of loved wearing all those hats sure the one thing that as I was kind of doing our prep for this interview that I, I really like that you wrote and I'm just going to read it so I don't misquote you, but you talked about stop competing and collaborate and congratulate. <laughs> I love that. That's like, is that a, is that a trademarked <laughs> Casey Brown I'm, saying? I'm printing t-shirts out. No. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Cause that, I mean, that lines up with everything that we're about in terms of serving uh, the people around us as opposed to being competitive. Yeah, totally, man. I, think for me a big like turning point in my career was just like sort of finding out like where real like contentment and confidence and identity lies and and for me that just came from like really just centering my life around Jesus and I know that sounds like some canned stock answer but I promise it relates to what you're saying but like when your value and your contentment don't lie in your performance, but they're just centered in your identity and who God says that you are and, and this inherent sense of confidence and worth that he's given you. All of a sudden, these people that you're like, quote unquote, competing with become friends and become people that like you're happy to see succeed and become people that you can draw inspiration from and encouragement from. And I mean, it's it'd be it'd be such an easy trap to fall into for for somebody to look at somebody like you and be like, man, Seth's awesome. He's killing it. And it turns into jealousy and it turns into trying to find something like bad to say about you or something. And it's like, man, like what a sad place to live. <laughs> like yeah. there's so much wisdom and value that comes from just like picking your brain about something and seeing how you, you know, operate in a session or a writer's room or, or being like, Hey man, like just shooting you a text. That song sounds amazing. Like killer job. Like it's like, sure. it's, there's just so much more joy that comes in life when you kind of see like you shouldn't be competing with anybody you should be congratulating them and yeah you never know what will come from that if you're ever going to be working with them or whatever even if you don't just the the quality of life that you live when when you're not feeling like you're in a rat race against everybody else like it's like yeah it's just a, a much more inspiring place to live well, that's that's really well said because I think a lot of the times we can get caught up in this game of comparisons of who has the most songs on the charts or who has or what do I not have? You know, we we look at our own situation and we're like, well, why is he getting something? And I found it's really helpful, and I'm glad that you hit on this to really just reframe your thinking in terms of not how can I maybe get ahead of that person, but how can I learn from them? Yeah. How can I serve them? How can I? 
even maybe eventually work with them or for them yeah and let that be the goal mm-hmm. not even necessarily competitive so i'm i'm really glad that 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 you brought that up i think that speaks to a lot of our listeners out there who are maybe trying to make it small town kids who just have no family connection have no nothing jealousy is is a pretty powerful thing so. yeah a pretty ugly thing too and yeah something that it's really easy to fall into. So talk about work-life balance. That's kind of something that we talk a lot of on the show about because it's really important and it's something yeah. that a lot of us creatives don't do very well. Yeah. What are some of your, you know, you and your wife's strategies for yeah. keeping that on track? I feel like there's sort of like two phases to every like creative person's life and breaking it down simply is before you're married and after you're married. Yeah. Because work-life balance is, when you're single, you have a lot of, you have a lot of time and you have a lot of, like, you're not really, you're not solely responsible to pour into this other human being that you're sharing life with. So for me, when I, before I was married, before I was dating, like I, I was just like holed up in my room, just always working, always, always hustling and always like working on tracks or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of fruit that comes from that. And for me, you know, as soon as I started dating my wife and we got married, like the more I realized like, man, this is a really, this is a quick road to a a bumpy marriage if we don't figure out a way to sort of make this work. And man, like a lot of it for me just stems from a lot of things I've been reading over the last couple of years about people who talk about work-life balance from the standpoint of people can look at something like exercising or look at something like taking a day off and go, Oh, well, you're not getting any work done. When in reality you're recharging and you're enhancing the work that you're going to be doing Yeah. rather than working nine hours, go take a break for one and you'll get more done in that eight than you would if you sat there and zombied out for nine hours. Like it's like efficiency goes up a, a lot more when you kind of have a little more gas in the tank and you're not running on fumes. Sure. And a cool, a really cool thing that I, that I heard from somebody, Sam Tenez, you know, yeah. he, he's a good friend and we've gone to church together for a while now. And we were kind of talking one night and he kind of just shared, I won't tell the whole long story, but the the whole point of it was basically like, he kind of came to realize that work-life balance for him really centered around the belief in that prioritizing his life and keeping, you know, his wife and his family like above his work, like even though it resulted in maybe less hours put in and maybe less work put in, he saw a lot more fruit come from that and call it what you want. But I kind of view that as like, you know, God just making more of the less time that you may be putting in, but because your priorities are in line and you're trusting to like take that step and go, you know, like I, I, I don't want to put my career above my family and God just kind of making it work. And I've seen crazy things happen in that guy's life in the last couple of years, just so much yeah. success and winning. And yeah. I look at that and I go, man, like that's, that's so awesome to see like that success story of a guy who, balances his life and and wins and that's that's something that I strive for and I suck at and I'm continuing to try to get better at it but busyness isn't the goal for me like balance is yeah. and 
prioritizing like what's important and you know life's a, a you know it might feel like it's short but you know i'm in marriage for the long run right <laughs> and so you know 30 years from now i want my wife to be able to look back and go like oh he chose me over his career and not you know oh he chose his career over me that's good it's man. like man like when i'm 60 i'm not gonna be doing this anymore yeah i don't think and it's kind of a weird thought to think of a me as 60 years old, like nerding out in a studio. Yeah. But like, you've got a lot of life left to live with your wife. Right. And I'd, I'd love for it to be a, a happy last chapter and not a chapter where I'm trying to make up for all that lost time. Yeah. That might've felt really cool in the moment. And then you sort of get to the tail end of it and you look back and you're like, oh, like I, I had it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have the priority, right? Yeah. Man. That's that's a good word. That challenges me. That's that's one thing that we're constantly balancing. And I I think the word balance is such a good word for it because it's not that you ever fully achieve it. It's always no. kind of a back and forth and correct it a little bit here and correct it yeah. there. So Cause it, I, I mean it's, it's I, I sit here and talk like I'm an expert on it. I'm, it's so much easier said than done and I suck at it every day and yeah. I continue to try to get better at it. And I think that's just the key is being aware of it and right. just trying to take daily steps towards that goal yeah rather than waking up every day and going how can i so how can i hire you to coach me on life balance <laughs> <laughs> that's my question <laughs> well i don't know if i'll ever figure it out but man i appreciate that that's awesome so i've heard from other sources that you don't like the term <laughs> track guy Maybe give our listeners some reference as to what, what does track guy mean <laughs> and why do you not like that? So titles are sort of given out in little segmented ways in like the songwriting world of like track guy, lyric guy, melody guy. And the main reason that I, I find it funny and, and I prefer not to use those terms is it kind of puts people in boxes and sort of, it, it kind of like, limits their creative role before you even go into the room if everybody's walking in going like oh that guy's the track guy he shouldn't be like i'm gonna get like defensive if he says something about like the lyric that i'm bringing to the table or something yeah. and it's it's just funny to me man because i've i've been in rooms with quote-unquote track people and quote-unquote lyric people and they all have amazing ideas like about everything some people that, that i write with all the time that are they might even say that they lean more towards lyric but like man if you listen like they have amazing ideas about like melody like a sonic reference or like like an approach to how the song should flow and for me like i i kind of you know i i know how to work a a daw and build a track and produce a song and it sounds cool and i think over time it just kind of lends to this mindset of like oh casey's the track guy (laughs) sure it's just funny to me because it's like man like i prefer to try to approach the songwriting situation just as a songwriter that knows how to use a computer and the people that I'm friends with and I write with all the time, like they kind of, they're, they're aware that that's sort of the ebb and flow of it, but they, they just always kind of, we just always kind of crack jokes about how I'm just a track guy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I love that. It's, it seems like your life is a recurring pattern of maybe being in a box and then saying, you know what, I'm way bigger than this box. I'm breaking out of it. I'm not just a college student. I'm also a, drummer and then I'm also a producer and a writer and I'm also 
not only just the track guy, but I, I, I have stuff to say too about melody and lyrics. And I love that. I think Man, it's, thank you. I, I think it's a great attitude because we just, even as humans like to simplify things Yeah, and totally even talking about, you know, you, you brought up, um, identity found in God earlier. Are you familiar with the book, the shack? I am. I haven't read it though, but I've heard amazing things about it. So they're making a movie and I, I just kind of recently went back over the book and it always blows my mind because we have these preconceived notions of putting God in this box of who we think he is or who she is, but, and, and no spoilers, but the, the book kind of just blows out all preconceived yeah. notions of that. So I love that you hit on that, that man we shouldn't put each other in, in these boxes of this is what he is. This is what he does. I've been in mix rooms with, with a mixer, uh, who has a suggestion about a song that's like throughout the one lyric that made the thing make sense. Dude, it's crazy. It's yeah, it's, it's always, it's kind of goes back to that. I don't know if you've ever heard the Japanese automaker thing where they have all the workers on the assembly line. Anybody can pull the rope at any given time and say, you know what? I see something wrong here. Oh, that's a great analogy. As opposed to feeling afraid, have to talk to their superiors. And then, so it's a weird far off analogy, but it totally relates to us as songwriters that if you see something that could be better, you know, raise your hand and say, Hey, I think this could be better. And there's so much value in just being open to, you know, somebody at any point in the process coming along and saying like, Hey, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Whether it's an A&R guy or a, manager or a wife like it's right like, you know if, if something doesn't feel right to somebody then it you know maybe you should revisit something and yeah talent and contributions can come from anywhere and so it's i'm not like vehemently against like being referred to as a track or lyric or melody guy like that's a very handy way of of approaching i guess sort of the writing community but it's just funny because it's man like the fruit that I've seen from quote unquote two track guys getting together and doing something or two lyric people getting together and doing something like the combination that people would look at on paper and go like, Oh, well if two track guys get together, they won't have like a lyric or if two lyric people get together, they won't have like a song. They'll have like a great poem. It's like, right. (laughs) No man. Like they, like you'd be amazed at at what comes out of people when they kind of are given like free reign to just, contribute and create and not have like a box that's good we talk a lot on this show about it being a marathon as opposed to a sprint and mm-hmm. talking to you a little bit outside of this interview before you've been working with an artist uh russell dickerson yeah i'm getting the name right yeah that you said it's kind of been that you you've you've been with this guy for really since college right and yeah and you fast forward to last week he's playing the Grand Ole Opry, which is crazy. The highest honor for any country artist to essentially achieve. Yeah. Having a song as number two on the on, on the highway, Sirius XM. So can you talk a little bit about the journey of what that was like? Because I think that would be inspiring to a lot of people to oh, say, yeah, you know man. what, this has been years. I mean, when did you graduate college? Oh geez. Two thousand ten. So that's six years ago. You've known this guy all through college. Yeah. And, and just last week, he's, he's he's on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. So it's crazy you hear, you hear it said like that. But yeah, like it's that's something that I've sort of had my eyes open to recently is just like, I've, you know, hearing like listening to your podcast and sort of reflecting on things that I've seen 
come to fruition in my life. Like so much value comes from pouring into and collaborating and investing with like your circle, like the people that you are naturally in community with. And I was call it luck or, or God's favor or whatever, but like I was just naturally placed in a community and a friend group that was just full of like crazy talent and like just amazing people that are so like just upright and so like have so much integrity and talent. And so it, it was just something that like, not even in the moment I was realizing, but looking back on it, I'm like, Oh man, like it's really cool to see like the fruit that comes from just working with your friends and you do something great with your friends and, and people hear about that project. And so your circle just sort of naturally grows. And what happened with the Russ thing was, uh, so Russ, Russ and I, we've gone to college or we went to college together. I honestly wasn't, I didn't know him super well in college. Um, and over the last couple of years, we've gotten to know each other a lot, a lot better because his, his wife has been one of my wife's best friends for years. And her name's Kaylee and Russ and Kaylee started dating. And so we kind of started hanging out a little bit more and they got married. And, and so, uh, we've just kind of been friends for a while and been around each other for a long time. And, just one day, I think it was like before, like we were, everybody was kind of parting ways to like go Christmas, go to home for like Christmas holidays. And I just kind of like randomly felt like I was just hanging out with Russ. I was like, Hey man, like we should write sometime next year and just see what happens. And he'd been, he'd been releasing music and been doing the artist thing for a long time. And I always thought he was super talented. And I just kind of had a little moment of boldness, I guess. (laughs) And I was like, man, we should, we should try this. And, um, so me and, and my friend, um, Parker, I'm dropping so many little name promotions. <laughs> uh, Parker Welling, her last yeah. name is really Nohi. She's um, awesome. She's amazing. Yeah. Have you guys worked together? We have not personally, but I know she's amazing. Dude, she's amazing. And she's like the poster child of what I'm talking about, why titles are so stupid, is yeah. because she is quote unquote a lyric person, but has so much to offer in every other facet. She's like a phenomenal lyric person, but will chime in with like melody or like production idea or something. And I'm just like, wow, that's brilliant. And so Parker and I, we had written uh, with some other friends before. And so we kind of collaborated with this Russell thing. And the first two days that we wrote, we kind of had two days and we wrote two songs in two days. And one of those songs is the one that he just sung at the Grand Ole Opry like four days ago. Amazing. And those songs were written probably two and a half years ago, three years ago in the spare bedroom of my, the dumpy little duplex that my wife and I rented when we first got married for the first few years. And it's like, man, people like just starting out or who don't know where to start or whatever, like they, they think that they need to have this, this setup, like great gear, cool, inspiring environment, all this stuff. It's like, it's a great thing to have. But a lot of times you just start pouring into where you are and, and try to be a good steward and a, uh, yeah, just a good steward of the environment that you're put in. And for me, it was, I saw talent where I was and I was like, I, I really think this Russ guy's talented. I'd love to just see what happens. So Parker and I get together and write and we love the songs that we wrote. We kept writing more and more and it was just, it's a long game, man. Like he, he's a completely independent artist. And just, he has an amazing manager named John Dennis in his corner who just kind of like was a champion through the whole thing and found ways to just keep pushing him and keep sort of just elevating his, his buzz and his status. And man, like over those couple years, like there were points where we were all just like 
maybe Russ was never at this point because he's sort of the really like just positive person. Eternal optimist. Yeah, the the eternal optimist. But we, we were all just kind of like, man, who, who freaking knows what's going to happen with these songs? Like we just kept writing songs that we thought were awesome and, and we believed in. And so we, we had no idea what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden he gets some, some traction on the highway. Oh, I guess I'm sort of fast forwarding. We make an EP together and I kind of produce it. And me and Parker and Russ kind of wrote the majority of the songs on it. It's like five or six songs, four or five. I don't even know. The single's called Yours. It gets all this traction on, on the highway. And then all of a sudden his EP's doing crazy well on iTunes and country iTunes. And all of this stuff started with songs that nobody ever knew were going to get heard and nobody ever knew if anything would happen with. We were just like, let's create something that we believe in and we think is awesome. And so many people just starting out are like, I want to write with this artist and anything along the way is just worthless. And I don't want to spend the time doing that. It's, it's not, it's, it's not status. It's not high profile enough. Like artists that are not a list enough. Yeah. The artists that aren't significant or doing it enough or whatever. And man, like that's a, tough spot to be because from a logical standpoint, you kind of have to build clout and build sort of just experience in the room, riding with artists along the way. So that one day, if you ever are in that room with like a high status artist or whatever, like you kind of have a little more handle on what you're doing. But for me, like it's, it's just been an amazing thing to just see like the trajectory and the, and the fruit that's just come from seeing where I'm at and going, you know what? Like, I'm not going to like endlessly strive for something that's like pretty out of my reach right now. Like I'm just going to sow into something that I believe in that's right in my immediate circle that I feel like I'm supposed to dig into. And man, it's, it's just grown into a really cool thing to watch. And a lot of cool opportunities have come from just from working on that project outside of the Russell camp, just people hear about it or his manager is a, as a big champion of me and has sort of opened other doors. And it's like, just so much unpredictable benefits and fruit comes from just pouring into where you are and not, I mean, there's a level of not being settled and always wanting like the next thing. And like, I don't know if I'll ever shake that, but you kind of have to balance that with like, okay, well, like, where am I? Where do I want to go? What can I do right now? That's in front of me that I believe in. And like I said, I'm just lucky enough to have been put in a circle where there was just, crazy talented people around me that just naturally became friends. And it was just this organic thing that is crazy. And yeah, just to think back on the beginnings of those songs were just written in a dumpy little bedroom and yeah, nobody had any idea what was going to happen. Yeah. It's just crazy. Well, I love that. That's, that's a great tip for a lot of people out there that, Hey, you know, when you're starting out an A-list artist is not just going to say, Hey, can you come over and write my next record with me? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although that would be really nice <laughs> and that would be really easy. Um, that's just most likely not going to happen. So mm-hmm. you just really have to treat everybody like, like they're going to be the next A-list artist because exactly. you never know. And really just out of complete human respect too, you should just treat mm-hmm. everybody you're working with like they're complete rock star, you know? Mm-hmm. So I love that. It's a great story. Man, thank you. So 
Talk a little bit about the various roles that a producer has. We we kind of mm-hmm. have explored a little bit in terms of, you know, well, the songwriter, collaborator. What do you actually do as a producer? Man, I think a really interesting part of that whole role is just like producer, being a producer has more so to do with like the psychology of <laughs> the creation of music like not more so but like just as much so as like the actual like steering the musical ship like it's like to be the guy in the room that's like bringing out the best in everybody and calling out the gold and somebody who might not necessarily think that they're awesome it's just super important like people play better people sing better if they feel confident if they feel like like they're they're valued in the creative process and some some of my favorite like producers that I've sort of gotten to be a fly on the wall and watch their creative process like that's the thing that they're the best at is just making every single person in the room feel like it could not be happening without them regardless of how completely false that is they always go out of their way to to make everybody feel like so valued and so comfortable yeah and man like a, a singer gets behind a microphone and if a couple of takes go by and you don't go out of your way to edify and encourage them and tactfully maybe talk about tweaks of things to do differently. If you don't lead with positive encouragement, like you'll watch their morale like shrink really quickly and it doesn't take long for somebody to get in their own head. And it sounds like it, like you can tell if somebody doesn't sound confident, if somebody doesn't sound happy. And so that's just something that is always like something I try to, keep on the forefront of my mind in the process is like, don't ever look frustrated, which some, you know, maybe sometimes I'm not the best at that, but don't ever look frustrated and don't ever like be quick to like criticize. Yeah. Just always try to find ways to positively and in, you know, in an encouraging way go about steering the ship. Sure. And yeah, it's, it's just cool to kind of see how different people do it, but it's always at the core of like their approach is like, just making everybody feel valued. Yeah. So just be an encourager. That's, that's amazing. Me and my wife are going through, I promise this has to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> Me and my wife are going through the five love languages, Yeah. which I don't know if you've read I've, that or not. Uh, yeah. I've, I haven't read it. I've heard so much about it and I kind of feel like I know which ones that I am, but yeah. So we kind of in, in, in going through that discovered my big thing is affirmations, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's encouragement. So not only is it going to go a long way to helping them get a better vocal take, it's just going to create more trust long-term. If you're mm-hmm. the person who is building them up as opposed to saying, Hey, you suck, you know, do it, th- mm-hmm. which that's one way to, you know, get takes. <laughs> and I know producers who, and engineers who do that. Hey, that sucked. Do it again. <laughs> and, it, it, and you know, if, if you're friends with, like, if like Russ and I were cutting a vocal and we were in a, a you know, he like totally botched the take. Like we're, we're friends enough where, you know, if the moment was right and we were laughing and joking around, like I might say something like that because he knows it's in good humor. Sure. And we're comfortable enough. It's like, if it's like the first person or the first time I've worked with somebody or I've met them or whatever, like probably a hundred percent chance that's not going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. that. Cause you just have no idea what, what belief structure that these people are coming from. Like how highly do they think of themselves? 
And I'm amazed at how many amazingly talented people I come across that have no idea how talented they are. Right. And it's like, man, like when it's sincere encouragement and I get to like actually like really say like, no, you're freaking awesome. Like sing like it. It's yeah. awesome because you just kind of see the person like inflate a little bit and kind of stand a little taller. And right. It's, it's just such an important part of the whole process. Yeah. And how did you, I mean, how did you learn all that? Cause that, I mean, that's not something that you can kind of just, I'm sure you weren't just taught in a Belmont classroom of yeah. how to encourage artists 101. Yeah. Maybe that was a class. I don't know, but <laughs> that, that wasn't a class. Maybe it uh, should be. It should be. It should be. <laughs> you should go teach it. <laughs> uh, but man, honestly, like just being in the room with people, I mean, like, like you, when we, when we worked on the, Loving the Outcome record, the first one in like Winthrop, Washington. Yeah, man. Or or being around people like like Ingram, just sort of watching like singer sings a vocal take. And it's A, it's amazing. B, it's maybe not so good. Both scenarios hit the talk back. Sounds amazing. <laughs> like, can we just get can we just get another one? Just, you know, I'm stacking something up or what like whatever. Yeah. And Fortunately for you with 11, the outcome record, Jody's an amazing singer. That actually singer. wasn't a lie at the time. <laughs> exactly. Like I was in the room listening and I was yeah. like, holy crap, she's a really good singer. Yeah. And so it's like, but the thing that most people, not most people, the thing that people might not necessarily immediately understand is like, regardless of what you're hearing, that should always be what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. And it's an amazing scenario when you are hearing that and, and you do get to legitimately say, that was amazing. And I'm not lying. But regardless of how the person is performing, you always lead off with that because you're calling the gold out of them and their their mental state and their confidence. And people don't play well or sing well if they're like fearful or doubting themselves. Sure. Because it translates, man. Like it totally translates in the vocal performance. But yeah, just being, being a fly on the wall with people that know what they're doing. And I just kind of picked that up. Like Ingram is so good at, exactly what I said before of like making every single person feel like it could not have happened without them. Yeah. And it's amazing. You always leave a room with, with Jason feeling like, like a million bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you're like, yeah, man, like that guy's awesome. Like I feel great about myself today. Well, you know what? That's kind of an amazing discovery over the seven or so years I've been in Nashville that everyone who I've ever met or looked up to in some way, who's been successful in the music business as a producer or a songwriter, that's the one thing that they all have in common is mm -hmm. you feel amazing after leaving a room with them. It's, yeah. it's like you've just went to a, a cheerleading session <laughs> yeah. and you, they were cheerleading for you, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's crazy because a lot of us think that when we're getting into this, it's really about who is the best on Pro Tools or who is the best programmer, who can get the best drum sounds, who's you know, the best at mixing or the best lyricist. It's really the people who are at the top, they're really good at those things, mm -hmm. but they're just masterful with people. Mm -hmm. So it's, the psychology is everything. Yeah, it really is everything. And so many people hear the word producer and think that that just sort of means like, okay, well, they're like programming everything and they're playing everything and they're recording everything and all this stuff. And it's like being a producer that I know people that, are in the trenches and doing all that stuff. And I know people that are just like the Rick Rubin style approach of like, maybe they're not like laying on a couch and, <laughs> and soaking it all in, but it's like, they're not feeling the need to like, cause they, they sort of, they've, they approach it from like, well, I'm going to 
build a team that I think is right for this project, bring in the right people. I'm going to stand back and be in the encouraging role. And if something is blatantly wrong, I'll tactfully steer it the other way. But yeah, that was just such a cool thing to see is like producer doesn't mean you have to like hold on to everything and try to take credit for everything and all the stuff. It's like, man, just bring in a, a team and the people that are right for it and make everybody feel valued and important along the way. And that role is so important because yeah. if a bunch of scared, uncertain, insecure people get in a room and try to make a record, like with no source of like encouragement or like whatever, like it, I don't really know if it's a record that would turn out that great. Yeah. That's you. And you'd hear it. Yeah. You'd, you'd hear because what comes out of insecurity is fear mm-hmm. and you can really just tell, I, th- I think that music and specifically our genre has been in a season for the past 10 years. And I, I feel like we're coming out of that, but it's been, a, it's been a season of fear. Oh, absolutely, man. And I think people now are starting to say, you know what? who cares if this thing doesn't work? It might work. It might not work. Let's throw it out there and see what people think. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that's at the top of our radio charts that would have never been five years ago. Oh, absolutely. And that's encouraging to me to say, okay, you know, people are just throwing their insecurity out, out the door and just making yeah. music they want to make. Yeah. And I think that's super cool. And what you said is a huge part of that. So I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that and you're, obviously great at doing that because every artist <laughs> well, that I've ever talked to that has came in and worked with you has been like, man, Casey is just, just a level human being to deal with. So man, well, thank you. you've obviously learned that in a huge way. I appreciate that. Picked it up from you. <laughs> so, so we're kind of wrapping up. I want to talk about your story with Rascal Flats and how yeah. you kind of got invited into their camp to help sort of revitalize their live show from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did, I mean, that's a huge, pretty huge honor. It's crazy. And I mean, Rascal Flats is one of those bands that I, you know, I grew up listening to, you probably grew up listening Same. to. Yeah. What, what was the story that kind of led up to that? Man, it, it kind of goes back to the whole, like, just be a, a good steward of where you are and you have no idea what'll happen. And for me, it, I kind of was introduced to a guy named Jesse Frazier through some mutual friends um, who's a publisher in town, was working with Major Bob, and I had he was sort of familiar with some stuff that I had done, so he was kind of putting me in rooms with some of his writers, and so I would write with them, and I would just, you know, put my best foot forward and tee up the demo as best I could and just try and, you know, do well, and... um and so he he just kind of developed a little more, I guess, sense of what I did. And we kind of developed a little bit of a relationship. And then totally without me knowing, he uh, this was like end of last year, so kind of December. It's like a few days before I was going home for Christmas to my wife's family's home in California. And I get a call from Jesse. He's like, hey, man, um, would you be interested in going out and playing for Flats? And I was like, what? it was the most just completely not like expected thing ever. It wasn't anything I was like gunning for. It wasn't anything I was like anticipating. So like, you weren't even like, hey, put my name in the hat for this thing. No, man. He he, literally was just like, is this something you'd be into? And at first I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm, I have no idea. 
And so he kind of was like, well, is it cool if I just give Jay, who's the bass player, singer, one of the vocalists in Flats, he's like, is it cool if I just give Jay your, your contact info and he can maybe tell you a little bit more about it? I was like, yeah, sure. That's cool. And so the next day, I think maybe it was the next day, or it was very soon before I left for Christmas, I get a call from Jay. He kind of explains the scenario a little bit more. And essentially they were just looking for somebody to kind of reproduce and tee up their live set in a little bit more of a pop format. And they were doing like a Vegas residency thing in February for like three weeks. And they just kind of wanted maybe a little higher energy or just a different presentation of it. Just something that people wouldn't really expect. And he, he had reached out to Jesse Frazier, asked if he knew of anybody, because Jesse's an amazing producer, songwriter himself. Jesse gave him my name just from knowing what I had done with a couple of his writers. Jay gives me a call and just kind of explains that whole scenario. And I was like, it's just a really unique opportunity from the standpoint of they wanted somebody to basically like produce their set, remix it, whatever you want to call it, and then go out with them and kind of help just the visuals of it make sense with like what you're hearing. So like, you know, playing auxiliary like synth or drum pad or whatever kind of ear candy noise you can do. And so, yeah, he hit me up and it was just a super unexpected thing where I like met with the guys for like coffee the next day and just kind of talk game plan. And there wasn't really even an audition. <laughs> like it was just like, like, I was like, like, what's the next step? when we were at coffee and they were like, I mean, we could just send you files for one of our, like just the stems from like the session and you know, you can do your thing with it. And so, yeah, I remixed one of their songs in my, my wife's parents' office over Christmas time There you go. <laughs> and sent it to them and they were into it. And so the songs just kept coming and I yeah. kept, kept working at it. Yeah. And then January hit and it was just, a, a blur man just prepping for rehearsals and sure getting getting all like i don't even know how many songs 13 14 15 songs just kind of yeah. teed up like that it was a blast that's amazing man and and that even speaks what she said i don't want to just gloss over that but there wasn't even an audition they kind of just took jesse's word at it that hey this guy's good he knows what he's doing yeah we work and live in a trust business yeah and bigger than Seriously. that we live in a trust world it's it's all about trust. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we talked about earlier, you've worked really hard to build a good reputation of being great to work with, being excellent at what you do. So that Thank obviously you, went a long way. Thank you, man. What does that even kind of look like specifically? Like they send you a song with files and you, are you saying, hey, let's replace the drum sounds with like clubs, club <laughs> yeah. trance synths or like what's man, your... It, it, it was... Yeah, they they sent me... They basically just sent me the songs and they gave me like complete creative freedom, which is awesome, but also like just kind of scary because you're like, well, what do I freaking do? Like what's the, what's the kind of a yeah, moving target? Uh, yeah, yeah, like what do I... I was like, I'll just do something that maybe I think sounds cool. And it's it's interesting. I didn't want to take it like so like Zed that it just didn't make any sense. Like I didn't want to like completely abandon their market. So it was like just kind of trying to find ways to... You know, you're like, hey guys, I got you all some glow sticks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's like I don't, I don't know if it's like a great idea for them to like, I don't right. know, sing Mayberry over a bunch of like 808s <laughs> and like Little John yells yeah, or whatever. Probably like, not. It's just it's a, it'd be a bit odd. So kind of just trying to tastefully blend those two. So some of it was like, you know, maybe you 
throw a cool like kind of more pop textured drum beat over like a banjo thing or or you i mean Gar- gary's vocal is amazing right. so you'd be amazed at what could happen if you just mute everything play one thing and gary's vocal is on top yeah. it still sounds like a country song and it still sounds like one of their hits but yeah. it's just maybe teed up a little bit differently yeah so yeah i was just trying to be a little tasteful with like synths and stuff and not not making it like so offensively <laughs> pop sure every single one of their fans is like what in the world am i listening to right so it was yeah it was a lot of fun man just kind of trying to those were all sort of just limitations in like a box that i kind of put in my own head so i didn't like get way out of there I'd, out in left field was i was just like i, I want to keep their market and their audience in mind but they're giving me free reign so i'll swing for the fences yeah. and see what happens well i think that's a great tip even for artists out there who are listening is don't think that just because your record was done one way or sounds one way means that it has to be anything like that live. It's crazy. Yeah. Because that's probably, a lot of the songs are like, oh, this is just a f- completely reimagination of yeah of some of their old hits. And I think that's really awesome. And from a fan perspective, I want to go to the show and, and see the band live and then see them at the tour the year later and say, Oh, they're doing a little different. Like, yeah. they, you know, they actually put the work in to make it a little different. Yeah. And for them, it's cool. Cause half of these songs they've been sitting on for a decade over a decade. And so, yeah, it's just kind of cool to see. It's a real honor to just kind of see the excitement that it's like given them to, you know, go out and play these same songs that they've played for a long time and they're just doing it a little differently now. And it kind of right. just feels new to everybody. You know, it's fun. Yeah. Well, that's that's an awesome story, man. And you're you're doing huge things. You're crushing it. We're man, really honored. You. I'm really honored that you would even take this time to come and uh, set aside just to talk to me about what you're doing. And dude, absolutely, man. We'll do this in another year, and who knows? <laughs> you'll 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 probably be the singer for Rascal Flatts. <laughs> no, There's no way I could I could sing like that guy. But uh. It's it's an honor. It's awesome to know you. I think our listeners are going to get a ton out of this, man, and our you. viewers are going to get a ton out of this. So thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. Pleasure to be here. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been with us here on the Full Circle Music Show. Thanks for being a listener. This has been Casey Brown. We hope this was a very informative episode for you guys. I know I got a lot out of it personally. Once again, just want to remind you to head over and check out FullCircleGoesLive.com. Again, that's FullCircleGoesLive.com. Music Makers Boot Camp, August 26th through 28th. I'll be there with Matt Hammett, Mia Fields, Sean Moffat, and X O'Connor. We're going to be teaching producing and songwriting. So if you're an artist, producer, or songwriter, you're not going to want to miss this. It's limited to 30 spots only, so make sure you get your spot reserved fast. They're going to go quick. So we'll look forward to seeing you next week on the Full Circle Music Show.